evidence and answers. When trial after trial seems to follow you, and it seems like there's no way out, where do you turn? Comfort and peace? Well, they seem so far from you. Sometimes you feel like you're at the bottom of a pit and completely helpless. But God. Those two words, but God. They can and will make all the difference. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the arena of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, Pat will be speaking with Randy, Jill, and Ian Rogers about this very topic and will share their testimony of how God brought them through a series of tremendous trials. If you're unable to hear any of this broadcast, all of our messages are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now, here's our host, Pat, with part two. What I read that helped me fall asleep at night, and I would uh, fall asleep with my Bible on my chest and then wake up and just get right back into the Word again to start my day. I think that my men in my family are uh, way more faithful (laughs) than I am. I would cry a lot. And it's not that I thought that God had abandoned me, but I felt like this is too hard for me to bear. This is too much. Often I felt like this is too much. People would say, oh, Jill, you're so strong. Your shoulders must be so broad. And and I was thinking, no, my shoulders are really small. And all of this is too much for me to bear. And it falls to the ground and the Lord knows what he has to pick up and hold. There was a night in the hospital. And by this time, um, Ian needed help for everything. He needed help, assistance to walk to the bathroom because he had all these IV lines hanging off of him. And so we'd have to unplug from the wall, push his IV pole, spot him to the bathroom. And he was finally able to take a bath in his own little hospital bathtub. When he was done, he called me in and asked um, if I could just spot him. He said, I don't know, mom, if I'm going to be able to get up. I just want you to have you nearby. So I uh, wrapped a towel around him just to spot him and be able to hold on to him. He did get up, and he uh, was so grateful for that. And he was thinking, you know, Mom, how you how you said that you would help Dad and clean him up um, if he went when he was so old that he couldn't do that for himself. He said, "Will you do that for me when I can't?" And uh, I just looked at my son and my 14-year-old son who is needing me and, and just said, yeah, with honor, Ian, with honor, I would, I would clean you, care for you. I didn't want him to feel shame for needing to be cared for in that way. I wanted him to feel loved and, and safe with me. So later that night when um, he had fallen asleep, then it was my turn just to take a shower for the first time in the hospital. And that is when my hand was stretched out to the Lord. So I got to read my Bible through my tears here. So Psalm 77 verse 1 says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I will seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open, and I am troubled, so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years of long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. 
Will the Lord spurn me forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? And I just wrote in my Bible, it hurts. It hurts. And God was so big. He's so big enough. He could just hear me lamenting and crying. And I drew a picture of myself with my hand outstretched in the shower with this ugly face kind of cry. And I was so thankful to be reading the Psalms and find myself in there, find this desperate child of God crying out to him and asking and saying, it feels like you've left me. It feels like you are not relenting against me. And it just feels like it's too much for me to bear. So it was kind of a kind of bittersweet, right? To find such beautiful words that express my sorrow and feel like I, you know, I can't sleep at night. He holds my eyelids open. When my cousin asked, you know, why does this happen to you, such good people? Why is that happening, such good people? And I thought, yeah, have I done something bad? Is Am I such an evil person that God needs to work on my character? And I just got like bad juju. And I was thinking, <laughs> it's, it's tempting to go that way. Like maybe I brought this on myself because of my past and Totally, I'm a sinner. Totally, I deserve way worse than this because sin has consequences. But I read then in Psalm 56 that he says that you have kept count of my tossings. You put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then the enemies will turn back in that day when I call. This I know that God is for me. So had I not been reading God's word, I would be tempted to think that I deserve this or brought this upon myself and that God is against me. But I was reading instead that he's for me and he's watching me toss and turn all night long. He's storing up my tears in a bottle and he's writing them all down in his book. And I was so thankful to have my bad thoughts turned to right thinking just from being in God's word. So the Psalms, they basically walked me through heart failure over and over again. Yeah, you know, I think one of the things you bring up, and you made a great point, you know, Jill and Ian, is that the pain didn't go away. <laughs> I mean, it's not as simple as memorizing these verses and the pain goes away. Yeah, you we're know? still walking in it. Yeah, God says, you know, the yay, Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of darkness, we have to go through those dark valleys and the pain. Jill, many times you said it's too much for me to bear. Oh, yeah. That's reality. You know, even though we're Christians, even though we believe that God loves us, he's with us, he doesn't take away the pain. It's right. part of the entire experience that we need to walk through together with him. Well, I think we're kind of deluded to thinking that good people don't have suffering or good people get to experience heaven on earth and heaven on earth doesn't include suffering and dark times. This place is the, is like the shadow lands of things to come. Everything on this side of heaven has been touched by sin. So none of it, anything my eyes can see isn't going to last. Everything is going to be destroyed, right? Only the things that are unseen are, are what's going to last forever. <laughs> So it's almost like God is being gracious to us and giving us this wake-up call every day or every time we go through these hard things. Jilly, don't put your trust in anything that you can see. Everything your eyes can see is passing away. Only what is unseen is what is truly eternal. So it gives us this longing for eternity. It gives us a longing for heaven and a desire for for all that God has for us on the other side. And I knew 10 years ago that the Lord 
needed to help me raise my children to have an eternal perspective of this world, to be more based on the word than what the world has promised them because none of this will last and they're going to have tremendous loss and suffering in their lives. They needed something they could bank on and put their trust in. Well, here on Evidence and Answers, we often address the issue of God, evil, and suffering, and we provide an apologetic defense that indeed the Christian worldview presents the best answer and the only one with any meaningful message of hope to the problem of evil and suffering. But how do we handle those difficult moments in our lives when we go through those dark tunnels? What are some practical counsel that we can receive when we face those dark moments? Well, I think... God's Word and God's people provide the best answer and the only meaningful answer in these kinds of situations. And here to share their experience is my good friend, the Rogers family, you know, who went through some very difficult times just recently. And they've been sharing in the last couple of days of how faith in Christ and the people of God made a all a big difference during their time. So Jill, Randy, and Ian, just summarize for us a little bit what we were talking about the other day of the crisis that Ian faced uh, just just a few months ago. Why don't you do that, Ian? Last time that we we came in here and we talked about going to camp and then going to the hospital and just feeling so so terrible and alone and through the darkness, how Jesus came close to us, how how Jesus was near to us through that dark time and how our friends who were unknown to us were suddenly known to us now, who were suddenly with us in that room going through this with us and how the food came through when we thought it wouldn't. Yeah, Ian's jumping kind of into the middle of the story here. What was going on and what was our physical situation was that Ian was experiencing heart failure as a complication of a rare form of muscular dystrophy that he's grown up with. And uh, at this particular time in our life, this last summer, he entered into a, some serious heart failure and, and his situation was degrading really rapidly and he ended up needing a heart transplant. And fortunately, we're on this side of that, and we can say Ian received his heart transplant, and we are here to tell our story about how God worked in that situation. Yes, you know, we finished the other day talking about how Ian's condition continued to deteriorate, and we didn't know if he was going to be able to receive a heart transplant, and it was in those really dark and painful times that you really felt the presence of God in a very special way. And you can listen to this entire interview at evidenceandanswers.org, but we're going to pick up our story from there, right? So, uh, Jill, tell us what happened there. Ian was getting worse. We didn't know if a heart transplant or a donor would be available, but tell us what happened. Right. So that season or just waiting for transplant, there's no way you can tell when a heart is going to become available. But Ian was getting weaker and weaker. So basically his heart had become so enlarged that it couldn't pump any blood efficiently to his body. So as he deteriorated and couldn't breathe well, his fluids, his lungs were filling with fluid. His legs were numb and fiery, like when they're falling asleep because the blood wasn't going down there anymore. And he was constantly retching because his stomach couldn't hold anything. He couldn't drink. He couldn't eat. And we were trying to find some rest for him. So I was wondering if he could be sedated so he can sleep through the pain, but then he was too fragile for that. And so they decided to intubate 
we decided to intubate and we had also decided to sign a paper saying we would receive a compromised heart. Maybe not pristine, but that we would be okay with that. We just wanted some help for Ian. Yeah, because we were getting to a place of desperation and right. running out of time, basically. Yeah, and they we were actually living in the hospital and they didn't they made up his room all different like for a teenager because we could be living in the hospital while we waited. So we went and we intubated, decided to intubate. And uh, within that time, he was still in a lot of pain and uh, struggling to breathe. But you weren't retching anymore, were you, Ian? During intubation? Yeah. I, I felt like, I felt like retching, but I wasn't so much retching. I mostly had just this more fluid built up in my, in my throat that they, that we stayed up all night just sucking out through mm-hmm. this tube. Yeah. So what was going on, we thought when we first entered this transplant process that it could take a year, two years, but but on a daily basis over those couple of months, we saw Ian getting worse and worse. And I didn't expect that. I thought we would just be able to maintain for a long time. But since he did get worse so fast, and since we did have to put him on um, sort of life support with the intubation and the, the breathing machine, and then, of course, Ian couldn't talk to us anymore. But it did move us up on the status list on the mm-hmm. on the transplant organization's uh, sort of priority list. And so because he was intubated and on life support, that made him a top priority. We are all amazed because when I spent the night with Ian, that night he was intubated and he was only intubated for the one night. I just thought to myself, we can't live like this. At first, we thought this was going to give him the rest and he could just wait kind of indefinitely while the machine breathed for him. But as that night went on and Ian was continuing to be uncomfortable and just kind of didn't seem like it was working, we just sort of sent out an email plea to all the people who were praying, say, we need a heart today because <laughs> it didn't look like we could uh, keep going. Yeah. And God answered and the next morning. He got a heart. Wow. But, you know, Jill and Randy, did you ever come to that point where you accepted that perhaps this might be it, that we're ready to let go? Mm-hmm. And, and how did you handle that? I wasn't ready to let go, though. <laughs> I wasn't well, ready to let go, ever. Okay. Well, you know, you know, uh, since the very day that I was diagnosed with heart failure, I was excited because through my whole life, I had experienced more and more instances when that just reminded me that this is this is not heaven this is just a sinful world that that is darkened by terribleness that humans created at the beginning and since all those reminders came i was looking forward to heaven i couldn't i couldn't wait and as soon as the guy came in and says you have heart failure i was like oh yeah this is awesome i want to see you guys later (laughs) well (laughs) Yeah, and it's nice that Ian had that perspective, but <laughs> yeah. we, we like you. having him around. We love Ian. Mm-hmm. We love the place he has in our lives. We enjoy his personality and his gifts. But to answer your question, um, there were many times, kind of usually for me, it was when I was alone walking back and forth from a parking lot to the hospital, ro- hospital room or, or something like that, where I was kind of coming to terms with being able to let go of Ian. And it was sad. I just, I pictured a life without him and it, and it was sad. I like having him. I love him so much. We did feel assured that, that he would be better 
he would be healed. That actually is still our hope. We still have to live with muscular dystrophy. We still have to live with weakness and all the other complications that come with this. But we know that there's going to come a day when all that is is made right and he's whole and fast and strong and enjoying life in the kingdom yet to come. So we have that, but we also have life together now that was that we're getting ready to have that uh, major loss. And we didn't. We, we we get to keep him a little bit longer, and we're happy about that. Yes, you know, a heart transplant was made available. But, you know, as you stated in some of your blogs, somebody had to die yeah. in order for Ian to live. And uh, how did that make you folks feel? Oh, my gosh. I think um, so indebted. And uh, it was there was this time when I thought, I, I don't even know how to pray for this. I don't even know how to pray for a heart for Ian because I knew it would mean somebody's loss. And it just seems like, well, that's God's territory. That's not mine. That's what God can handle, <laughs> but, but not mine. But I just, I feel so grateful for our donor family and that decision, a really brave and sacrificial decision they made out of a huge loss. Even now we're in Hawaii and it feels like every milestone Ian goes through that I'm so grateful for, I remember them because it's from their gift, their sacrifice that Ian and I can continue to experience these things together. Isn't that a great analogy of yeah. of what Christ did for us and how we should feel for the sacrifice he made that we can live and have eternal life. Right. And that way we can still experience some of heaven on earth and this hope for what's coming for sure. But I just, I feel so grateful for them. Mm-hmm. I'm sort of a engineering mathy guy by training and gifting. <laughs> I'll call it gifting. But there were many times while praying that I was trying to figure out, I was asking God, what what's the best way to pray? What is your will here because we know there is another family that has to experience loss in order for us to gain. Mm -hmm. And we knew Ian was looking forward to seeing Jesus. We knew that he had a security for forever and we didn't know about this other family and 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 where they were at and and they're trusting Jesus or not. So I was always trying to figure out how to pray until I got to the place of just saying that is that's not my business. I can't. I kept trying to figure out what's the best way to pray until I just got to a place of desperation. I said, please help my son. And I would trust that God would also hear the prayers of this other family. We're hoping actually that we would get to enjoy eternity with this other person who gave, who ended up donating their heart to Ian at the time of their loss. I'm hoping in that we could enjoy Christ's victory in their life and in our life at the same time. Yeah, you know. know. Well, you know, Randy and Jill, Ian pulled through. A heart donation did come in answer to prayer, and that's why Ian is, we get to enjoy Ian here today. But you weren't out of the woods. <laughs> I mean, right after you, you just faced another crisis right away. Randy, why don't you tell us about that? Well, on top of, I mean, not just, you know, once, once a person gets a new heart, there is still a whole new set of problems. So Ian actually had to deal with not just being kind of rescued and everything being okay. He has a lot to deal with just to manage this new heart and not rejecting it. So that's actually a whole nother story. But it did turn out that, you know, when things sort of settled down, I decided to go check out some symptoms that I was experiencing in my left ear, hearing loss and some numbness in my face. And it turned out 
that I was diagnosed with a, a brain tumor called an acoustic neuroma. And we were thinking, well, that's strange timing (laughs) that now we would have to kind of react pretty quickly and have a surgery to get that removed. And part of me was wondering, you know, the stories have to be connected in some way. One of the most simple ways that I could see is God gave us really, really good training of talking to doctors and living in the hospital and navigating that whole health crisis situation so that when we did get to having to schedule surgery and and ask all the questions that we had to ask of doctors about my own situation, that we felt really comfortable, (laughs) really well equipped to to deal with life-saving surgeries. I don't know if I felt comfortable. (laughs) I, I, I felt like we were all, we were all geared up for this big thing. Like I was, I was ready. I was a little bit afraid because you guys were talking about how stressful it was to come in there and see me sick. And I was like, I wonder what it would be like for me to watch my, my dad be in so much pain. And I was, I was all ready and I was, I was geared up. I had, I had my Bible because one of the techniques that helped me get through is that was praying and reading the Bible, just trusting God. But one of the things I was scared about was how am I going to feel? How am I going to feel just seeing him in pain? We were all um, ready for the worst. And we walked in there and the surgery and recovery and just getting out of the hospital, it only took three days. I felt like it wasn't, we were prepared for the worst and it was only three quarters of the worst. Three quarters? (laughs) (laughs) Well, and not only that, but compared to what Ian endured, what I experienced, you know, just physically, what I experienced in terms of the diagnosis and preparation and surgery itself, it was kind of nothing. It was, it was really... (laughs) Brain surgery ended up being kind of a minor issue Mm. compared to what we were experiencing. And, you know, so it felt felt okay. Well, you know, Jill, you (laughs) said that watching Ian, it was just the pain that was just unbearable. And now here's your husband going through this. And, you know, those two are sitting here going, "Eh, it was okay. But uh, what were you thinking? Were you thinking like, this is not okay. Right, Lord, why another one, Lord? Come on. (laughs) I mean, what were you thinking here? I don't know. So much of my life is like, what is going on? This is super extraordinary. So part of me thought this is so unreal. It's got to be by the hand of God only who can orchestrate something like this. And and even right after transplant, Ian went in and had a seizure. Actually, before the seizure, when he got the transplant, I thought, oh, no, God, now we're going to feel like you're just the big sugar daddy in the sky, just answering our prayers and making our life so easy. We're going to grow complacent and not trust in you. You're not going to hear this concert of prayer from around the world of people just trusting in you for us. And then Ian had a seizure, and I thought, oh, okay, so there's still going to be opportunities to trust you and to be brought to our knees. And then he got diagnosed with his brain tumor, so I thought, There is always going to be opportunity for us to fall on our faces before the Lord because we live in this dark world and this is not heaven. So in a way, it was like heart transplant, brain tumor, heart transplant, brain tumor. We we could do this. We did heart transplant. We could do brain surgery. But it's been a hard battle for the mother of the child with heart failure and muscular dystrophy and the wife of the husband who has the brain tumor, the surgery, and the recovery. He's not yet the same. He's still recovering and is weak and often sad and struggling with his own losses. So it's hard to watch my men. Whenever I feel 
I'd feel good again. Whenever I'd feel great, I'd be like, maybe I don't have muscular dystrophy. Maybe it mm-hmm. was, maybe I, my medical records just got mixed up with somebody else's. <laughs> and then, and then something, something would happen. Something, something different would happen to normal people. And I'd be like, oh, no, I, I still have muscular dystrophy. Mm. And just like my dad's brain tumor was maybe now that I'm done with this, maybe we can continue and, and keep, keep going. We won't have any more problems. And then, then my dad goes into a brain tumor, and I said, well, "I guess, I guess we have a little bit of ways to go before, because my brother and I are both so related that in the future we see another heart transplant for him, also." Well, we hope not. We definitely hope not. Yeah, we hope that uh, we can Avoid see Micah that. grow up and and not have to deal with those things. Too. Yeah, God's got a story for Micah, all his own. Yeah. for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today. If you find this broadcast to be of a great value to you, please partner with us. Evidence and Answers relies on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, you may do so right there online on the homepage of our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles, additional audio, and Pat's books. Please be sure to share our website with your family, your friends, and your church. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, please visit their website at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers. Oh, oh, oh.